0: Welcome back to the Ten Ten Project Podcast. Did, that was official. You started giggling. right there I did. I did. I got, a, I got a smirk on my face. That was very official. So this is the first podcast of twenty twenty two. Yeah, that was a weird way that I articulated that. But yeah, uh, it's because it's a weird.
1: It, it's a weird number. It's a weird number. It yeah, kind of throws is, you off. It is. And all
0: those memes of everybody saying it's twenty twenty also two. Yeah, is weird. Yeah. So God, Josh Turner, not. Tyler Reagan here. Ready for 2022, Josh? You ready yeah, for this? Yeah, I'm ready. We, uh, I'm ready. In our world, good grief, it is ramping up. We're about five, four weeks away from our first two trips, Projects 3 and 4. Yep. We've got uh, a group of business leaders. We've got a group of pastors. This thing is about to get moving. The old flywheel is moving, if you will.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. We've for had sure. some
0: really fun meetings. I mean, God's doing some stuff, Josh. Uh, and and what's what's sobering about all of it is much of it is in response to the realities of what we're seeing around us. Yeah, Um, I mean, you and I have talked, there's probably been two or three more stories in Mm -hmm. the last couple of weeks even.
1: Yeah. I mean, just, you know, I, I, three guys, three of my friends uh, over the past two weeks have uh, either, you know, had an affair, moral failings, unhealthy leadership, whatever the, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Burnout. And uh, it's brutal, dude. One of them was my really good friend and, um, you know, I watched the service as they uh, instated the new pastor, and um, dude, I just sat on the couch and wept. Yeah. You know, and because yeah. uh, it's heartbreaking. It's not only heartbreaking for uh, him as a person, but for his children, his wife, yeah. uh, the church. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just a heartbreaking thing. And I think this is, you know, the heart behind why you and I do what we do.
0: But you know what's interesting, Josh, is you had a conversation with one of those guys
1: mm-hmm. months ago. Yeah.
0: And said, hey, bro, it's not. Like I I can tell like you need what, what's happening. You need community. You need some on-site. You need some friendship. And he said, no. Yeah. And now he's lost a lot.
1: Well, and I think too, it's, it's so hard for guys. Um, you know, all of us, I think that are great leaders. Um, I like you put yourself in that category. I put both, I put both of us. I I put both of us in that category. Um, (laughs) well, you're not going to like the last part of this sentence. You should let me finish. We all have a narcissistic bent and, um, and I think sometimes when you have a narcissistic bent, um, it's hard for you to see where your own weaknesses are. Is that are. like a bad knee? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> I think that's arthritic. Oh, <laughs> and, um, but when we have that bent, I think it's hard for us to see the kind of the pit, the pitfalls that could be in our future. Yeah. And, and then the other thing that I think is so um, scary that one of the things I'm seeing with so many guys right now is um, most of their relationships become transactional and not transparent. Yeah. And so all their friendships and all their relationships become about what I can do for you or you can do for me and not really about, Hey man, this is what's going on in my life. And that's just a recipe for disaster.
0: Well, and Josh, to that point, most like we've said this from day 1 sitting out here in my driveway. Yeah. The hardest part about what we do is the guys we know need it the most will not do it. Yeah. And so here's my thing. As you're listening, and this is the beginning of the year, if you know somebody that needs to hear this, you need to share that with yeah. them because we're about to have an episode. This episode is with John Tyson, pastor in New York, Church of the City in New York, one of the greatest and brilliant. guys. I mean, brilliant. Yeah. And he talks about being an intentional father. He talks about how he learned about leadership. He talks about prayer and revival and praying for spiritual awakening consistently. This is a great kickoff episode, but I want you to listen to it through the lens of I might not need everything right now, but I know that I've got to always work on myself to stay in the game. Yep. And that's the heartbeat of this. Uh, one of the guys called it prehab. Yep, it is prehab. the idea of prevention versus going off the rails. Then we got to step in. Yep. And so uh, please connect with us if you're interested in that. Um, we're really excited about this year. We're building out trips, hopefully in the summer, or even be having women trips kicking off. We're just, we're rolling with all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, our heartbeat is to serve leaders to keep them in the game and and, and our little tagline has just become further together yep and we believe that we really yeah. believe that with all our hearts and so um that's what this episode's all about today is john tyson and how he's gone further with people around him with family with friends and with other leaders and so um anything else josh you want to add before that no, man that was
1: good thank you yeah it was good
0: <laughs> so without further ado here's our conversation with john tyson Welcome back to the 1010 Project Podcast. And today is a special episode for me. This is actually somebody I've known almost, gosh, John, I was thinking back to it. I met you at Recreate years ago. Like, uh, I mean, years recreate ago, that's where I met you originally the first oh, time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so John Tyson, Pastor John Tyson is on the podcast today. John, I'm so glad to have you here.
2: Mate, it is a joy. You are taking me so far back down memory lane. It's wild. I will never forget. I'm glad we're honestly. still friends. I yes. know.
0: Nashville, we've, we've both done a million different things since then. Um, yes. The one thing that's been consistent is we've both been fighting for the church and fighting for, uh, you know, to, to continue to leave this thing better than we found it. And yes, uh, yes. that's one of the things I love most about you, John, is just your heart. So if you, for people that don't know you, can you take us back a little bit, give us a little background on how you got to where you're sitting uh, today in 2021?
2: Yes. I um, I grew up in Australia. Um, I lived there until I was 20. Uh, the things that I think shaped me the most, uh, I got a job when I was 14 at a butcher shop, an after-school job. And Worked for a very, very successful uh, businessman who had vertically integrated the meat industry. Uh, Abattoir, cattle, transportation, wholesaler, um, and butcher shops. And so at 14, he's the first person I ever met who said to me, John, you're a leader. I see leadership in you. Never heard of that. Never thought about that. Uh, I dropped out of high school at 16 to work for him. And the reason I bring it up so much is I had four years of like extraordinary leadership development in like a very, very challenging, godless manual labor, like primal manhood environment. And uh, so that really, really impacted me. I became a Christian in a Pentecostal youth revival in the middle of that. I felt a call to the US. I got a scholarship to study theology, just probably. An hour and a half, maybe two hours north of where you are to Coal Falls College. Yeah. And uh, yeah, met my wife there. Um, it's interesting, you know, obviously, all the listeners know you used to uh, run Catalyst. Um, my, I am sitting where I am right now. I'm at a pastor in New York City. I've been here for the last 16 years. Um, but it was an event at Catalyst that put church planting in my mind and put yeah. me here bill bright bill it was the one bill bright was at so i don't know year, what year it was, was early
0: it had to be very early
2: yeah but then andy stanley said a comment he said when will we planted north point and it, like it's honestly it is like a fireball from a video game left his mouth came across the room and hit my body and i was like what do you mean you can start churches and so i <laughs> i ended up i'd never consciously thought right i could start one this is a job description in the kingdom of god so then I definitely was like, okay, I've got to figure out about what church planting is. This is probably 2003. And um, so then uh, got some training and then moved to New York and was have been involved in starting churches and leadership for yeah, the last 16 years.
0: Yeah. It's amazing. And, and uh, can you talk a little bit about that call to New York? Like what's neat now is to watch kind of the iterations of it and to see that you're a campus of church of the city with one of your best buds, Darren and how that's kind of evolved, but w- where was the draw? Was it just something that was stirring deep in you, John? Because a lot of people we talk to, like that calling piece, you know, or that that like draw. Sometimes they're like, I kind of want to be drawn there. I want like, what is that? What did that look like for you specifically?
2: Well, it, it went in stages. Like the first stage was like, I want to serve God. Stage two was. Wow, they're paying me to look after teenagers. I'll be a youth pastor. <laughs> then, then it was honestly, what do I do after this? I, you know, I, yeah, I didn't. I wasn't like using youth at the time as a stepping stone. I didn't even have that grit. It was like I want to do the next thing. Um, and then I got yeah, again, like I said, clarity on the call. And then I was like, where where do I want to plant churches? I yeah. remember very distinctly as a teenager walking down a street called Arundel Street in Adelaide. And watching a man walk out of what I now know as an apartment, and then walking down the stairs and walking onto the street. And that image haunted me my entire life. I remember thinking, again, one of these moments, what do you mean you can live in a city? That dude lives in a city. I never consciously thought, and I remember thinking to myself, mark my words, at some point, I will I will live in an apartment in a city. And um, I visited New York after 9-11. I was was in Nashville um, to go out to Brooklyn Tab. We were launching a new prayer ministry and we wanted to pray for the city. And um, we stayed in a hotel in Times Square, um, about two two blocks from where we are now. And um, just was just like filled with wonder. Like, could could I plant a church here in this city? And I remember just thinking, whose permission do you need? Like, who who is the Pope of Protestantism? that will let me do this and then when i realized like there's a lot of downsides to the free church tradition but there's a few upsides this is one of them i didn't have a pope and so yeah. i just kept i kept praying <laughs> fasting seeking god i did a i did a 40 day fast i'll never forget i did a 40 day fast asking god should i move to new york didn't tell anybody and on the last day, I remember coming home and opening my mailbox and there was a check, you know, a, very, a five-figure check that said, pay off your debts and do what's in your heart for what's wow. next. And I was like, that was the, the crown jewel. That's amazing. So yeah, we sold it, sold everything like we did in the book of Acts, read it in the book of Acts, paid off each other's debts and then moved to New York. And um, here we are, man. So yeah, it was like a series of events. It was seeds of ideas. Yeah exposure and then I tell you one very very important event because I think this uh, speaks to affirmation of others in your sense of call I was walking around with the executive pastor um, at at Discovery Church in Orlando a guy named Chris Willard when I was there great guy and he said this comment to me he took me up to New York he knew a few people which resulted in miracles when I got there but uh, he said John when I walk when I when you walk around New York I see the pleasure of God on you and he was like, that was the It's Like God made me fast. And mm-hmm. so I run. Mm-hmm. And it was like, when I see you in New York, I see God's pleasure on you. And it is definitely true. Very few people love New York as much as me.
0: I love it, John. I just and love it, man. I love it too. I, I, yes. I, 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 I love. I love, you know, even when I've ever talked about the best leaders I know, the most life-giving leaders I know are their truest self. Some of that has to deal with. They're in their space. Yes. They're in the place. Yes. Like we were talking, even before we started recording, like, I love my season at Catalyst, but I would still do what I'm doing now and coaching leaders and working with 1010 Project mm-hmm. and pastors. And honestly, I've always felt this call to lead leaders and pastor pastors because there's not a ton that do that. Right. Like, That's uh, and, I feel uniquely gifted to do it for whatever that calling piece is. And when I'm doing that, John, there's nothing I would rather do on the planet. Like yes. nothing. I mean, I do love golf, but it still, <laughs> it's still. I
2: see that from Instagram, bro. You got your boys out there. That's like proper it's, parenting. It's
0: it's it's kind of the dream come true. The only thing that needs to be complete in my life while I'm paying attention is Georgia winning the national championship. But we'll get into that another time. You know, you so, know they,
2: they just couldn't do it. Stop Again, it, The, John, the stop cycle.
0: It. Stop it. All right, so. Here's what one of the things like again, I've we've been friends a long time, most of the time, you know, in different cities and just keeping up with each other on Instagram or whatever. But um, you know, every pastor has their things that they love that that really lean into that maybe is is part of the spiritual walk that that means the most to them in different ways. And again, all the spiritual disciplines mean, but means something to us. But prayer has always been a foundational element um for you. What where did that come from? Why is it that you lean so heavily in the prayer? And again, I know the answer, but you know what I mean. Like, what? Why has that become yes. such a mark on your leadership?
2: It is definitely a sovereign theme. That's what I call them. I have three or four sovereign themes in my life. These are the things where these this my stories. We all have a shared human story, but like, there's stuff that marks mine out that's different. This honestly comes from two people. It comes from a guy named Russell Evans, who's the senior pastor of yeah. Planet Shakers Church. And it comes from a guy named Paul Geerling, who's a pastor of IC Church in Australia. They were my two youth pastors. And I mean, imagine this. I grew up in a youth group where kids regularly got up at 4 a.m. to pray for revival for their high schools, 16, 17 years of age. And my youth pastor would do these revival nights where he would get, he would like make revival mixtapes on VHS. And he'd get footage from all of these moves of God around the world, play them to us as kids, And then we'd spend a couple of hours crying out to God and he'd say, What God did in these videos, he's going to do through our lives. Let's ask him for it. And the glory would come down, (laughs) mate. I mean, you're on your face, just crying till there's nothing left, just weeping the manifest presence of God. And I honestly thought that that was normal Christianity to me. Now, (laughs) I obviously, I obviously, I, I want to say I matured beyond the container that mm. that was in, but I always tried to carry the wine of that. I was like, man, I've got to steward this, these encounters. Like I was a kid, I'm, I'm 17 years old, 18 years old, driving down the road, driving down the road and it's a Pentecostal church. So I'm praying in tongues, a lot of tongues. I would get hit by the power of God. I have to pull my car over, pray in tongues at the top of my lungs Like, like a, like I'm almost, I'm gonna, I've got to get this out of my body for like 20 or 30 minutes and be completely emotionally spent, sweating, in tears, et cetera. And um, I was like, wow, okay, this seems to be a theme. This is not what's happening to the rest of my friends. This seems to be one of those things that God is doing in my life. And so I just, I tried to steward that and keep that alive. I would tell you, I mean. I mean, I, I haven't for some time had like a super dramatic, yeah. like Pentecostal seizing revelations. Yeah. But gosh, man, I, the number one goal of my life is to post facilitate, yeah. enjoy, and and maintain that access to the presence of God.
0: That's man. beautiful, John. And it,
2: it that's it's, where it came from. Leaders, leaders. It's where it came from. No, no, In it, like,
0: Yeah, it's um, it is such. I remember in in college at the University of Georgia, we had a campus pastor that would probably be similar. He prays a couple hours a day, still a mentor of mine. There was a group of students, you know, um, it went down from 75 to 25, but it was a group of students that were willing to pray all night for revival at a secular university. And that 25 grew to in about four years, 1500 every Wednesday night and um, gifts of the spirit. I'd never experienced anything like that. Just watching God move in those ways. And, um, and, but one of the most powerful parts about that was there was a group of 12 of us guys that he would have come pray on Sunday nights at midnight. At his, you know, in in his house. And I remember (laughs) specifically one night we all fell asleep (laughs) and uh, all the guys fell asleep. We were all Mm. so tired. And Tom specifically was so burdened for, um, in a sense, the power of God to show up so present because we were so engaged in us. Like he just, Mm. it was, there was a (laughs) conviction that he felt that next week he, he lit us up in a holy way. And God showed up so much so that the, the noise with which what was coming out of that room, he remembers looking up and it was midnight, 1230. His wife was standing under the window of the neighbor's house (laughs) because she was afraid we were going to wake him up. But that was a a similar way, John. It was such a defining moment, you Mm -hmm. know, in my understanding and my experience of God, and I remember even going through seminary at Gordon Conwell and, and having these conversations with, you know, you can get into theological debates all you want about cessation of the gifts or the gifts of the spirit or mm-hmm. the Pentecost or this. And I can remember looking at people going, look, I, I don't really know all the theological understanding. What I know is God moved in my life and and I experienced mm-hmm. something I can't explain. That's what I know. And so yeah. I'm going to continue to fight to learn more about that. And one of the other things you harp on as much as I do, and maybe um, that's one of the things that's always uh, endeared me to you, John, and your leadership is your leadership, the understanding that it's not okay just to preach on Sunday. I've got to back up that message day in and day out with how my life, how I lead myself and how I lead those around me. Um, What's one or two leadership things, John, that you just anchor yourself in every day? Do Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: so maybe one thing you know so again there's nothing like, like you remember the book uh, the discipline of execution mm-hmm. like he basically said there's no new strategies execution is the advantage it's like doing and so i think i've tried to be diligent so i'm, I'm like this i'm a read my day i'm a read my goals and personal code out loud every day oh basically. really yeah, so I'm like 100% super clear. <laughs> I can tell you in the grace of God in one year. I can tell you two years from now, by the grace of God, what I'll be doing. <laughs> like, like, I'm open to divine disruption and intervention, but I have arrived at my planning through like prayer and fasting. Yeah. So I, I am like, I'm monitoring, always course correcting and adjusting towards this. Um, we just brought the folks in from the table group. Yeah, uh, to do an offsite with our staff and it was kind of like you know what we are coming out of covid our church has done a good job getting through covid our people and my my team has honestly like we got a pretty young team and they've they've done very very well to get our church where it is and um but I was like you know one of the things the guy said to me was um in crisis you create a family dynamic that is an unhealthy family dynamic. It's a survivor family yep. dynamic and a survivor family dynamic is very different than a healthy family dynamic. And he's like, so I was like, you know what, let's get some healthy stuff in. Let's get towards health. And um, again, it was just like that commitment. So I said to him, which was interesting, which is my second point, by the way, this is leading for my second point. The, it was um, the, sort of the first one was like, you know, actually having daily goals and, right. and staying, having a clear purpose and staying towards it. I said to him, this stuff was absolutely extraordinary like i don't know any of my friends who've done this like why i did this humility dude Mm -hmm. he's like it is very hard to sit in a room and have your team talk about all the dysfunction and take it and he goes it's like it's really hard to do and i was like oh that's interesting you know to me it was like i loved them more than my discomfort Mm -hmm. I love them more than my sense of ease and I want my team to win. And um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, trying to be humble in leadership, like you're, it's using your strength for the sake of others and having that clear vision. I'm at the point in my mid forties, just like there's nothing else I need to do in terms of any life significance. I've got one or two goals I'd like to achieve for fun, but I'd like, they literally won't add anything. I would literally smile and be like, that was cool. (laughs) <laughs> to me, it's all about it's about meaning and purpose, yeah and and for me, that is yeah, it's leaving a legacy in people's lives of sacrificial servanthood, um inspiring them towards prayer, seeking revival, of the kingdom of God, and living lives of childlike wonder and joy at the same yeah. time.
0: yeah you know? so love if I can that. do that, that's it yeah well and and along those lines, like one of the um I love beautiful resistance, the book you wrote um about the church really, right it's it's yes it's, yes. It's yeah. this concept and of uh, almost what what it should be, right? Like, uh, John, people ask me all the time. They're like, why do you still believe in the church? I'm like, well, one, because Jesus did. And two, well, I yes. really, I want it to be better than we found it in so many ways. Like, you know, um, and there's so much good that we've inherited. We're standing on the shoulders of giants. And I want people to be able to stand on our shoulders, right? Like, there's been plenty yeah. of chances for us to just go, you know what? I'll go do something else. We've got skill sets. we got things we could do, but yet you still love the church, I think, as much as I do, pr- probably even more, John. But can you just talk for a second when it talks about this, when you're talking about sustainability and doing this for the long haul, what what are one or two of those things that you, if nobody had read the book, even though I want to encourage them to read it, you would go, these are a couple anchor things that the church has got to be.
2: Well, I mean, number one, the the Church has to live out of a bridal identity. You know, and thats gosh, that sounds like hokey and <laughs> Pentecostal, but it's like, I mean, that's it, that's how Jesus views us. We're the Bride of Christ. yeah and again, what does what does that mean? It's like our primary posture is like love towards God. And we cannot love the mission of God more than God himself. We cannot love justice more than God. We cannot love, worship more than God, we cannot love community more than god now some of the ways we express our love by god is doing those things but they i say this the church i I just was in a in a difficult meeting with some folks who were like our church is not giving enough money to nonprofits." i was like okay um i want to be a generous church but the church is not a utility we're not a pass-through mechanism Mm -hmm. we have intrinsic value forming people into the image of Jesus and cultivating love for Christ and helping people prepare to meet him is fundamentally valuable on its own. And, you know, we've so overdone like consumers and consumer church, we forget that if the church doesn't, the church has a formation mechanism to make people love Jesus more and prepare to meet him is intrinsically valuable on its own. And I, I generally believe that we have to love Jesus. And the great goal of leadership is to help people love Jesus more. That, that's big to me, that bridal identity. We yeah. are his, we belong to it's him. It's really good. It's a responsive love. I think that the, the second thing I would say about that is one thing. I'm, so another thought would be the church has to um, resist corruption and syncretism. It's like, you know, the, the formation of the world is so strong. It's so subtle. It's so potent. And the Bible is continually warning against worldliness and idolatry and capitulation to culture. And Jesus is warning against the yeast of the Pharisees, always warning against things getting in and wrecking what God's trying to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have, to, we have to be very, very diligent about that. So The church is, is, is pure. It's loyal. It's a counterculture. It's distinctive. That's very, very important to me uh, in the in the least. It's a, different, it's a new humanity. I think the other thing I would say fundamentally that you've got to get um, right about the church for leaders is that it's like, it's not your church. It's not your ministry. What? <laughs> you're not, well, you're not here to self-actualize your call through your church. I, I had like one of my apostolic mentors say this phrase for me once. And I just, I think about it 10 times a day. It sort of haunts me. He said this, he said, you have this particular congregation for a few short years, even if it's 50 years. And he says, your job is ultimately to get it beautiful. So you can hand it down the aisle. You can walk it down the aisle and hand it to somebody else. And he's like, all you're doing is preparing it for somebody else to have it. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, I mean, it's it's not like I'm figuring out my call through it. No, that's like completely secondary. Oh, you mean I, I'm not looking for significance and stability for my family through it? No, that's not it either. You are. If it is ultimately Jesus, and it's probably the next leaders, so get it ready to hand it off, and you'll be judged by how beautiful you got it mm. under your care. And I'm like, oh, that is very different <laughs> paradigm than what I'm used to
0: that's right. I don't that's, know.
2: There are a few thoughts. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's great. Um, and, and I, I love those. That last one is, it really is where that word stewardship comes from at the end of the day, right? Yes, that's yes. leadership is stewardship. It's, it's, it's being able to manage the thing that you've been handed to, to give it better than you found it. And, um, when I, man. when
2: I think of those military, like, um, Restrepo or I, I, I maybe I'm saying it wrong and I'm, I'm mixing it up with like a, a form of uh, Ristretto, which is coffee. Um, is i think of those those military commanders who they hold a piece of land in a war and when their their time is up like they have a change of hand ceremony and they salute and they leave and they they try and say i hope i held the ground well i hope i led my soldiers well i hope we fought the enemy off well like i that that is like my dominant paradigm of leadership Mm. for me it is i love that this is going to be somebody else's soon when they get under the hood and say, how did John lead this? And I look, I make mistakes. I've right. got, I need to grow. I've got coaches, all of that, but I'm like, I hope they say New York City, the New York city church was better yeah. because John was a pastor in our city and he led this way. And if that's I can great. do that and then put another young leader in, that's a win.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things John, I've admired from you and um is in, and you actually recently wrote about this, but you, you're a dad, you got two kids that, you know, a yeah, son and it. a daughter, and and um, your intentionality is funny. That it's not funny that your book's called the Intentional Father, but it's um, I, I don't know that I if you if somebody said, hey, you know, John, what word would you put with John? Intentional is probably the word that would first come to mind. Uh, and it's not just with your kids; it's just the way you live yeah. your life. Um, I've got two boys, fourteen and eleven, and you know, yeah, man, I, you're in it. I know deep, and and I tell you this, John, watching you take your son to Europe. And y'all hike, uh, you do walk that path. I forget what it's called. The, uh, the
2: Camino de Santiago. Yes. yes.
0: Watching you do that, I watched every day on Instagram. I literally would search you because I just wanted to see, because that's the kind of dad I want to be, right? It, it'd be an intentional, intentional dad. Um, what, what's, what's, give me a key that just kind of sticks out to you as you think about being an intentional dad? Because again, you're intentional as a pastor, you're intentional as a husband, but there's something about, an intentional father that is really powerful.
2: Well, I mean, I know there's so much more
0: there that, but you know, just for time's sake.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I, I would just say this, um, love and legacy, but that was it. I just loved my kids, man. And they just sort of won my heart, these little human beings that looked like me and, you know, and I just was like, I just wanted to give them the best I could and what I didn't have in many ways. And that's no knock on my family. My dad a, was a very, very good father. But it's just like, wow, God's gifted me a certain way. And he's made me with a unique temperament and personality. And I always saw this in New, in New York, Manhattan, it's filled with hyper gifted people. Mm-hmm. And I watched all these dads have like, you know, Harvard level excellence and everything, and come home and just like not have a clue how to parent. And I was like, man, I want to bring my skill set, my strategy, my understanding, my capacity to read and synthesize information. I want to bring that to bear on my children's lives. I want to help them. And so, yeah, it was like self-assessment, love, and a desire for them to enter adulthood with like more blessings than wounds in their hearts. Yeah. And then again, so like I think most people desire that. But maybe the unique thing was like, I resolve to do this.
0: <laughs> and I'm goes telling goes back to you that the, thing you say every morning to yourself, isn't it?
2: Yes, yes. I said 10,000 no's to say yes to the smallest moments in my kids' lives, man. That many they don't even remember. All it did was maintain the relational field. Yeah. I, I went through a period, like my, my daughter just uh, went off to college. So she's just back uh, yesterday from her first semester. And it was like, for a period, Like, so I, I did a bunch of things when I was little, but super intensely for a period of the last eight years, I've probably put 20 hours into stuff for my kids for the last eight years. And I'm not talking about going to games. That's on right. top of it. Right. It was like prayer. <laughs> curating content taking them through stuff working on it it was honestly like I, I, I hate to use the word part-time job but it certainly felt like i didn't know what to do with my time when i when i when, they when left. I, left. I was like i was like honestly like i've i've got my mornings back yeah i've got i've got these nights a week back or whatever and i, I miss them but anyway i just i'll say this to most parents whose kids are a little younger Someone asked me today, I spoke at a men's event uh, in New York this morning. And they said to me, well, you wrote this book. It's pretty intense. If you had your time again, would you have chilled out or gone harder? And I said, I, I, with perspective, I would have taken a hundred things and said no to them to have those hundred hours back with my son and daughter. Again, I would have gone harder. Not, not less hard. Yeah. So yeah, man, it's like, you know, a loving parent with a strategy and a commitment to an embody is like a, it's a, a generation shaping force. You know?
0: Yep. Yeah. Last week, I had a flew out to see our pastors that were at on site. Flew to San Diego for a day. Woke up at three a.m. You know, out in San Diego to catch a six fifteen flight to get home for a basketball game, and it was right, one that's of those like moments,
2: literally. That's it. That's
0: it. It was just one of those moments. Like I'm doing it. Like. I'll sleep later, but I'm not, I needed to be both places at the end of the day. Yes. I needed to be both places and it's worth the sacrifice made to make that happen. And whether he ever just thinks, man, my dad was cool. Like it doesn't matter. Like that's not the point. And, um, well, bro, I, I just, can I
2: share a quick, oh, can I share a quick story here? Yeah, Of course. That? Just like, like, destiny, like I just preached on Joseph this past week and Joseph shaped history by three decisions. They're tiny seeds. Joseph doesn't even speak in the Advent narrative. He yeah. doesn't even say anything. His life is his sermon. So but the I'm thinking about the idea of seeds. In the book I talk about, one of my most wounding moments was at a basketball game in my childhood. I was a super gifted player and I look up in the stadium and my dad is reading a book. And I was like, like I'm, I'm a 45-year-old man and one of the most defining moments from my childhood is looking in the stands. And my dad is reading a book. Yeah. And I'm telling you, you don't, you don't know the moment of destiny doesn't moments of destiny. Don't feel like it. You getting up at 3:15 and getting to a plane, your son may look up, and it, see you in the stand looking at him and say, You know, I was going through a period of stuff I never yeah. talked to my parents about. And I looked up, and one day dad was watching, and I thought, He cares. You like that's it. That yep. if you're not there, he would have forgiven you. He would have said, I get it, dad, you're busy, you're trying to provide, but you never know what those moments do. That's right. So that's, that's amazing right. parenting,
0: man. You're not supposed to make me cry on this, John. Okay. I'm going to move forward. No, no, but no. hey, two yes. more questions. I want, I, you know, our heartbeat. 1010 was born out of losing some friends in ministry to suicide. And, um, it it was born out of this, God, I don't have a lot, but what I do have, I think can help our friends in some way. Let's help create community and space. And, and honestly, John, just keep guys in the game for the long haul. You and I both have, we can start a list a mile long of friends that were in the game with us mm -hmm. and are no longer, they're doing something else. Not that it's wrong. I'm just, we're losing our friends and, um, how have you sustained ministry as long as you have, especially in a hard city like that, but just your love for the church is more vibrant than ever. Your, you know, your marriage is strong. Your kids love you. And again, I know it's not perfect. I'm not saying it is, but what, how have you sustained, John? What's something we can learn from your experience that allows us to help other leaders stay in the game a little bit? You know, it's
2: funny. Um, I heard a talk at that, that same Catalyst conference on a pastor almost burning out, almost destroying his marriage, being distant from his kids and talking about slowing down your pace and finding what gives you life and doing it. And then I went to the leadership summit and Bill yeah. Hybels talked about almost destroying his faith and his being alienated from his kids. And then I went to another next gen summit and it was a story about a guy. And I literally thought, I had this conscious idea in my head. Wow, I'm the biblical definition of a fool. If all these guys that I'm in awe of are all saying the same thing, and I don't, when I Listen. get into ministry, change my life this way. So I have practiced the biblical Sabbath for 20 years. Yeah. I have taken regularly up to two months off to spend time with my family. And the, first, I mean, many years, particularly the early years, I had to go and raise funds to bring guest speakers in. To be able to cover me in the pulpit so that I could spend time with my family. And because we had such little money, Holidays was like a Motel Six in Hershey, Pennsylvania, you know, like, but I was like, I was a, a present dad, even though, you know, I, yeah. ma- I made that Motel Six like Disney World. So it was like, you got to, and then the other thing that I, so my point is like living at a sacred pace. Yeah. There's so that, you know, on the human function curve, um, you know, there's stress and there's distress. stress is good stress. If you're not stimulated enough and challenged enough, you go looking to escape. You try and bring yep. energy into your life. If you're going too hard, you burn out. And you try to get out of your life. So I've always monitored that sacred pace. Regular time off, being honest, um, longer breaks when necessary. That's So that's a huge part of it. And so you're like, yeah, but everyone knows that. I'm like, no, I did that. I do that. Right. No, we get I it. I did that. I just... <laughs> I say no to so many things that I want to do because I'm like, oh, I can't do it on that day. Yeah. Can we reschedule it? No. Okay. So, so ruthless execution. It's not the ruthless elimination of hurry. Um, it, it is that, but part two is like the ruthless execution of the disciplines of Sabbath and rest. Yeah. So it's like, like it's like sort of like violent rest. The second thing I would say is like, I also remember them saying, this one little one liner. I think this is Wayne Cordero. That's that's recreation. what I was wondering. Yeah. Yes. Recreation is recreation. You so said, like you gotta be honest, don't, don't over-spiritualize what it is that gives you life. And I was like, okay, I can tell you three things that give me life right now: riding motorbikes, smoking cigars, listening to jazz music. Mm. And I will, and I was like, so I have um, you know, I ride motorbikes like you play golf, like I yep. love it. Sense yep. of freedom. I've ridden them since I was 15. Having a, having a good cigar with some friends, talking about things that matter. There's very few environments where men would just sit for yeah. an hour and bare their soul. A lot of deep relationships and wonderful conversations. I love jazz music. That's my vision of leadership. It's improvisation from mastery. And so my wife and I's favorite thing is going to jazz music. So those are three like very disciplined practices, like hanging out with friends, smoking a good cigar, riding motorbikes on my own and hanging out doing jazz with my wife. None of those things have one. I mean, I can bend a theology around them, it but they, they are like, they're in, the, they're in a different, they're not a spiritual category, particularly during um, Black Lives Matter, COVID or whatever. I've never taken more criticism in leadership. Like it was just staggering. Yeah, and so I would go out for a three-hour ride in my Harley, and I'd come home, and I'd say, "I think I'm going to make it now." Yeah, that was. It wasn't intercessory prayer. It wasn't nope. fasting. I was just like, "I'm getting on my bike, and I'm going to the woods, and I'm just going to thrash around and and, yeah. and get this out." So, be yeah. honest about what gives
0: you life, That's and good. Then do it. I remember hearing, hearing Sam Chan say stress is going to relieve itself. Either you choose or it chooses. And when it chooses you lose and what that's good. That's Practically speaking, that's what you're doing is going, I'm going to choose where that stress releases. Cause if I don't, this could go wrong quickly. And, uh, that's beautiful, John. I, I, I just want to say again, man, I'm there's a million things we could talk about, but, um, I just want to tell you how grateful I am for you. And, um, watching you lead watching you care for a city that is hard a city that's a thousand miles an hour uh, watching you care not just for them but your team and 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 then on top of that really the foundational piece was your boy your your kids and your your wife um i'm inspired by it daily i'm grateful for your leadership um if, if guys and leaders want to follow up, keep up with you, some of the things you're doing, I know you and uh, some of our buddies do a, a thing on art of teaching, which is awesome. If you want to learn more, how, how do people keep up with you?
2: Uh, I'm just uh, like, I don't have a website or anything. I'm just on, I think social media, um, Twitter and Instagram, mainly at John Tyson, J O N T Y S O N. It's
0: awesome. Uh, well, thanks buddy. Thanks for being a part of this. And thanks for being an example of how to stay in the game and do this, do this for the long haul. We're in for, I'm in it with you. Yeah, thank you, man. What a joy to be able to chat today. Awesome, thank you, John. Uh, if you want to again keep up with John on social media, especially Instagram, you can go to at John Tyson, J O N T Y S O N. And hey, while you're at it, follow 1010 Project. Yeah. Keep up Give with the Give us a little things. love. Yeah, we, we, we will absolutely post once a year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's been the challenge. I mean, Josh and I laugh about all this stuff because we were just
1: sitting here going, I can't keep all these things because this is still side hustle Well, the reality us. was <laughs> is we thought we were doing a Zoom call to record this, and then I showed up in your driveway. I, so. I look out
0: the window. I'm like, is, why is Josh
1: driving from my <laughs> But when you have 18 jobs, this is what happens in your life for both you, of us. As, as was it the Kirk Franklin saying, God is doing a new thing.
0: Oh Lord. I, I don't think that was Kirk Franklin. That was that video. I think of that. it was, to- was that Toby Mac? <laughs> it might've been. Did it you just go been, Toby Mac? That could have been, a uh, uh, what was that? DC talk. DC talk. Peace. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. RIP. <laughs> the number one request, Josh, in my entire season of leading catalyst, number one, Jesus freak was a DC talk reunion. I cannot I mean, tell you how many yeah. people asked for a DC Talk reunion. And guess what? It didn't happen. No. No. We need to let that stay in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yet I saw, you know, a New Year's Eve, I watched uh, Journey
1: performing on Ryan Seacrest. There's that, a big, that kid from the Philippines. There's a big difference between Journey and DC Talk. I'm just saying that, like... <laughs> They're together because they got that kid from the Philippines. Well, the they Eagles found have YouTube. Vince Gill now. I mean, let's go. You know what I'm saying? What are we waiting I still on? want to see the What Eagles. band could
0: we be in? I mean, you're always throwing that out. Wham! In Montana. <laughs> Hall and Oats. Hall and Oates would be Indeed. strong. But wham! Uh, yeah. You know? Uh, <laughs> jitterbug. <laughs> All right. You can tell we are ready for 2022. We hope you're a part. Uh, We're praying for you in all seriousness. We pray that you find a place, a community of brothers and sisters that can walk through life with you. And uh, we prayed for our friends this week at Passion. They had
1: 50,000
0: college students hanging out. Dude, my son, it, it was. He
1: came home. Yesterday from Passion, who's trying to explain it to my wife, and she goes he she called me because I was out doing something. She goes, He can't even talk without crying. Really? Like, yeah. Great. And they so wrecked him. It, it, they wrecked him, dude. And it was in the best awesome. way possible. That's awesome. Well, uh, we're for you. If you need
0: anything, please don't hesitate to reach out. We got a new website coming live here in yeah. the next week or so. So keep a lookout for that. And uh, hey, happy twenty twenty two, everybody. I almost said twenty twenty one. I'm just so used to you it. You caught it, I know. It's strong. So mm-hmm. from uh, Josh Turner and I, we wish you the best and we'll talk to you next
1: time. I saw you the other night Down the street you were walking I remember when I held you tight I felt like a millionaire And you were laughing and carrying on The sky was pink and yellow And I'm okay but I hurt you gone I just took a deep breath and stared I'll get over you Oh, no Watched you drift away I just
2: took a deep breath and cried.